Welcome to the Pardes Parsha podcast, brought to you by the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Svi Hirschfield, and I'm excited to be here with you each week for a thoughtful and engaging discussion about the weekly Torah portion. Each episode, I'll be joined by a wonderful faculty member from Pardes to dive deep into the text, exploring its relevance and insights for our lives today. We will aspire to be creative, personal, and a little brave as we leave no stone unturned, seeking to bring out meaning and significance from each Parsha. And here's a request from us. If you enjoy our conversations, please take a moment to leave a five-star review for the podcast. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important discussions. So whether you're a seasoned Torah scholar or a curious beginner, we invite you to join us on this journey of learning and discovery. With that, let's dive in and explore this week's Parsha together. Hello, everyone, and welcome. New listeners, a warm welcome to you, and previous listeners, a welcome back. We are up to Parshat Akev, and I am thrilled and delighted to have my dear friend, neighbor, colleague, master teacher, Rabbi Michael Hatton is joining us today. Hello, Michael. How are you? Hello, Tzvi. It's a pleasure to be here again. He is smiling, so I think he means it. So let's jump in, and please, Michael, get us situated here. We're a few parshiot in the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim. Where are we? What's going on? So I just want to remind us that Sefer Devarim Deuteronomy is really Moshe's last words to the people of Israel. He will not be crossing the Jordan with them. They're poised to enter the land, and, you know, if I were to try and reduce Devarim to a couple of words, I would say, on the one hand, it's about inspiration and encouragement, and it's also about caution, because when they enter the land, they're going to face challenges that they have not faced before. Which, of course, is so interesting, because there's a suggestion here that because this book is part of the Torah, that the challenges and the inspiration they need in that moment are challenges and inspiration that the Jewish people are going to face and need going forward all through time. Well, we're going to see when we discuss our topic today that that's in fact the case. We can talk about the local event in the Parsha, but of course it has implications for the Jewish people today as well. It's a big Parsha. There's a lot of themes there. What caught your eye for us for this podcast? Okay, so the Parsha really begins with a promise. If the people of Israel succeed in entering the land, if they succeed in staying close to God and following the Torah, then they will succeed in the land as well, and they will be blessed. If they fall prey to idolatry, then things are not going to turn out quite so well. And in sort of the context of discussing the land that awaits, the Torah offers a lot of praise. It's a land of mountains, it's a land of hills, it's a land of streams, it's a land of fertility, it's a land of delicious fruits. We talk about the seven species which are mentioned in the Parsha. Chita, Su'ora, the wheat, the barley, the grapes, the figs, the pomegranates, the dates, I'm getting the olives. Hungry. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of a list. So just to understand then, on the one hand, it seems like the Torah is saying, you're being given this great gift. On the other hand, you need to know this gift is contingent on how you live in this land. Absolutely. That's one of the primary lessons of the Parsha. And ultimately, it's a lesson that becomes distilled in a mitzvah, which we learn from this Parsha. And that's the mitzvah of Birkat Hamazon, 
We translate that as grace after meals. It's offering blessing for the food that we have received. So not the blessings before we eat. That might be connected, but this is about the blessings after we eat. Correct. And the truth is at Pardes, we feel that this is an important ritual to be aware of. If it's community lunch, if it's a Shabbaton, then we will do the grace after meals together so that everyone can become familiar with it. So given that this part of Dvarim, at least, is not rich in law, I'm wondering why now, it tucked into this overall message, why is the commandment to bless after we have eaten, why do you think it's coming here? So in context, and I'm quoting the verse in chapter 8, verse number 10, the Torah says, V'yachalta v'savata, you will eat and you will be satisfied and you will bless the Lord your God, al ha'aretz ha'tova asher natanach, for the good land that he has given you. So Moshe is obviously looking ahead. The people will enter the land. They'll settle the land. They will grow crops in the land. They will enjoy the produce of the land. That's an opportunity to bless God for the sustenance. But I'm sensing here not only an opportunity, but a commandment which suggests to me, maybe I'm reading in too far, that we might not do it naturally, which is funny, right, that receiving the wonderful bounty of the land, Moshe does not leave it up to our instincts to thank God, but he is telling us, don't forget to thank God. Listen, I think it's a general feature of the human condition that we get used to things and we take things for granted. And the Torah tells us constantly, don't take things for granted because they may not be there when you need them. The invitation to say Birkat Amazon is really the Torah's way of saying that sustenance, something so basic, so foundational, is not something that we can take for granted necessarily. So it's a microcosm of the land. You're in this wonderful land. Don't take it for granted. It's here for you on condition that you acknowledge God's role in giving it to you, and that's reflected in your behavior while living here. And Birkatama Zone, in a way, becomes like a beautiful moment of example of this overall lesson that we're meant to learn. And that's another way of saying, in addition to everything that you just stated, that when we succeed in life, we realize that our success is due to hard work, but it's also due to God's involvement. That's a way of saying that we recognize that success as being a blessing for us, and we're grateful for it. So there are sort of these two opposing forces, right? And this is also part of the Devarim, the desire to take credit for myself or to take it for granted, not even notice at all, up against a choice of acknowledgement and gratitude. And that is one of life's greatest challenges, for sure. The way our Parsha phrases it, it's my own strength, it's my own power, which has wrought for me this success, versus remember the God who gave you the strength to be successful. Which in a way I can relate to, I'm embarrassed to say, because if God is in the picture, it's scary. If I made my crop happen, if I gave myself this land, then I'm in control. I don't have to worry. I'm in control. And then it doesn't matter how I behave the next day because I'm in control. If God is in control, suddenly I have to worry. Have I done enough to deserve it? Have I done enough to earn it? Have I behaved in the way that God wants me to behave? If God is in this mix, I'm going to be nervous. And so it would seem psychologically, I have a natural inclination to want to see this in my hands 
because that's my control as opposed to acknowledging God's role in all of it. Listen, I think that's true. The flip side of that is to say, if God is involved, then I have responsibility. I have a responsibility to make the use of the blessings that God has bestowed, not to squander them, not to take them for granted, not to misuse them. So in that sense, God's involvement really is an invitation to me to make the most of what it is that I've been blessed with. I think it's because you're a better person than me. You take it in that direction. And the minute I hear God is involved, I have a fear of God's judgment being found lacking. I think it's like a beautiful metaphor. God is in the room with us. Does that make you feel empowered and excited and spiritually enriched? but it can also make you feel nervous and afraid and what's God going to think and what's God going to see. There's no contradiction there. In other words, we sort of speak about these two pillars of our relationship with God, one being ahava, which is love, and the other being yirah, which is reverence, and there's obviously a tension between those two. So all of this learning and experience and awareness is being distilled into this moment. It's obviously found in many other things as well, into this moment of acknowledging God after we eat. Listen, if I were to reduce it to an expression or two, I would quote your father. But I'm going to let you quote your father instead. When your father would reflect on his life. Oh, yes. What would he say? Well, I can't really repeat it exactly, but he used to describe himself as the luckiest Jew on earth. Okay. So that is That's correct. sort of what this is about. It's a way of saying, I recognize that I've been blessed in life. There may have been challenges and difficulties too, but I'm grateful for the blessings that were bestowed on me by God. Also, just coming back, it sounds easy. I receive something good and gratitude should be pouring out of me, but the Torah itself is aware that there's this other path of kochiva otsem yadi, looking at my own power, my own success. I have to be willing to acknowledge my own limits, which can be scary, in order to make room for that moment of feeling blessed by God. Agreed. There's an additional element, which is when we experience achievement and success, we can become complacent and we can forget what it is not to have that success. I think for that reason, when, and I want to sort of shift the discussion a little bit to the Talmudic insight, when the rabbis talked about Birkat HaMazon, they understood that it actually contains some sort of a kernel about Jewish history. Yeah, I think this is really important because what you're about to share with us, I cheated and looked ahead at his source sheet, folks, is that this one sentence in the Torah launched many pages of discussion, legal and otherwise. The sages said a lot about this mitzvah, this command for Birkat HaMazon, and built it out in a way that I think we have a lot to learn from. So please share that with us. Okay, so, you know, in the text of the Torah itself, we have a straightforward phrase, right? You will eat and you will be satiated, and you will bless the Lord your God, for the good land that he has given you. The rabbis understood that there's a number of components here. There's obviously the food that we ate, that's the satiation, but there's also the land, but it's not just the land, it's the good land. So the rabbis understood that contained in that phrase was the possibility of a number of discrete stages in Jewish history. Rav Nachman explained that the first of the blessings of Birkat HaMazon, which pertains to sustenance, was composed by Moshe, believe it or not, when the manna began to fall. So they have their basic sustenance and they're grateful for it. When they enter the land, the second blessing concerning the land is composed by Joshua. And when Jerusalem becomes the capital, then David will add his part. That's the third blessing about Jerusalem. And when the temple is built, Shlomo will contribute that insight about Habayd HaGadol Vahakadosh, the great and awesome house. 
And so Rav Nachman understood these three blessings, which are quote-unquote the Torahitic ones, actually relate to three separate stages. And each one of those stages is a call, is an opportunity to be grateful for the additional blessing that we have experienced. As a nation, as a collective, you're saying, is it wrong of me to think that there's also sort of different components of what we are grateful for, that Hazan et Hakol, God who feeds everyone, feels me a very human expression of awareness that God is feeding me. We tapped into it when the mana fell in a unique way, but a general appreciation, God sustains the whole world. And then you said we move ahead to Joshua, and now we're honing it in. God gave us this good land that we have received, and then you brought it one step further. We're going to talk about Jerusalem and the temple, God's willingness to dwell among us in our capital city and bringing us this, not only the land, but the government and the structure that enables us as a nation to stay connected to God. And I think what that's really saying is each one of those additional things represents additional blessings, certainly on a national level. To be eating mana, so to speak, means that we don't have a land, and that's not nearly as promising as having a land. And to be in the land but not having Jerusalem means that somehow we're lacking. And even Jerusalem without a temple means that whatever our vision for the world is, it's incomplete. So in a way, there's a double message. On the one hand, we have to be grateful at any stage that we're in. They didn't wait until Jerusalem was built and then say, okay, now we have all the three components. We can now say Birkat Amazon. They started at the very beginning. They made a blessing after they ate even the manna. On the other hand, the blessings continue and in every new awareness of blessing, there's a demand or a need to expand our gratitude. And there's a cumulative effect. I mean, I think actually it's the fourth blessing which is the most revealing. Rav Nachman explains the fourth blessing of Birkat Hamazon is actually separate from the first three. It's quote-unquote rabbinic. And he understands that it was composed after the events of the Bar Kochva revolt. Just to remind us, the Bar Kochva revolt broke out about 60 years after the destruction of the Second Temple. The people of Israel still lived in the land for the most part under the domination of Rome. It failed miserably, and as a result of that failure, the land of Judea became completely emptied of Jews. Jews were driven into exile. Emperor Hadrian did not allow the bodies of the defenders, Bar Kochva's fighters at Betar, to be buried, and they remained exposed. And the rabbis say when permission was finally granted, miraculously, they had not decomposed and they received a proper burial. And believe it or not, that was the impetus for the fourth blessing. So wait, you're going to have to walk us through this a little bit more because I understand the first three. Mana falls, we receive the land, we build Jerusalem in the temple. I got it. Now you're telling me the sages added a tovahametiv, right? A blessing of gratitude for God's goodness because we were able to properly bury the bodies of all those who tragically fell in a loss, in a failed rebellion to restore sovereignty to the land of Israel. Yes, I think it's an amazing, astonishing statement. On the one hand, it indicates, I suppose, that we have to be grateful even for life's smallest blessings. And this certainly does not appear to be a blessing, except perhaps in some kind of, you know, very insightful way. On the other hand, I think the rabbis are also alluding to something more profound, which is they remark that the bodies didn't decompose. And I think really what they're trying to say is in spite of the fact that the temple was destroyed and the Jews were driven into exile, 
they did not cease being a people. And that remained. And that's actually what we're thanking God for. So the bodies did not decompose is sort of a veiled way of saying that the Jewish people survived. In a some kind of tragic way, of course. Yes. But yeah. And so that even as the different earlier blessings were in some way taken away from us, right? No more Jerusalem, no more temple, no more land of Israel for the majority of the Jewish people. We are still saying all of these blessings and maintaining that national sense of gratitude, even if the actual components are not with us right now. Maybe it's also an anticipatory gratitude. God, since I know you're still in the game, I know you're going to restore these things to us at some point. That's ultimately what it became. You know, when the Rishonim discussed this Gemara, they say, surely, for instance, David's version of the blessing was not our version. We're asking for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. David would have asked for Jerusalem to be maintained. We're asking for a temple to be rebuilt. Solomon would have asked for the temple to be maintained. So as we make our way through Jewish history, that's somehow reflected in how we express the blessing, even though the theme is the same theme. So the commentaries already note that the text of Birkat Hamazon has clearly gone through changes depending upon where we are as a Jewish people. Correct. You know my follow-up question. He knows it's coming. He's smiling. I'm wondering if you were in charge of the Jewish people for a day, would you want to readjust any blessing there because we're no longer living in exile? Listen, I think, you know, to not acknowledge the miracle of Jewish history and the blessing of having an independent state is to miss something very, very profound. You know, one of the things that the rabbis teach us is you have to have a long view. You have to have a big perspective. And to sort of survey the entire sweep of the history of our people and not to appreciate the blessing that we have today nationally, I think would be tragic. If it were up to me, there would be room for perhaps. He said perhaps. And I say this with reservations because I have as you do, you know, tremendous reverence for the liturgy, for the text, for the canon, and I feel very humbled by the prospect of changing it. But at the same time, it's clear that we're no longer living in the context of medieval Europe or Byzantine Israel or whatever it is. So that sort of invites this next question so the rabbis created a liturgy for us, right? The Torah just says, you know, bless. And the rabbis seemed to intuit that needed to be understood and legislated, if you will, that we needed a structure to express and to root this gratitude and historical experience. Basically, like they created a specific frame. But we've also now just noted the challenges of a specific frame, because once you have a specific frame and you have reverence for that specific frame, it's hard to add or respond or change even when things come up that might demand it. So I'm wondering if you could just take a moment to reflect on that tension between having fixed liturgy and, I don't know, leaving space for a more personal expression. I think personally there is always space. I think that liturgy, for me at least, is scaffolding. But I would say what's critical for me in the discussion is to appreciate that in the liturgy, the rabbis are not simply telling us what to say, but communicating some fundamental values. And so when I say Birkat HaMazon, I'm reminded, yes, Jerusalem is a value to my tradition. A restored temple is a value to my tradition. Having a land is a value to my tradition. So it's not only a grateful for, 
you're saying that it becomes an aspiration towards. Yes, or liturgy as not only words of prayer, but as some sort of exercise in education. It's teaching me things that I should want to aspire to. As I'm feeling grateful for the meal I've just eaten, I also need to be reminded to aspire to receive again those gifts because they are somehow essential to who we are as a people. Even as the Gemara mentions the story of Minyamin the shepherd. Minyamin the shepherd was rather ignorant. And he would eat his bread and he would say, Barich Rachmana, Mare da Alma da Haipita. Blessed be the merciful one, the sovereign who gave me this bread. And the Rishonim actually say, that's Pirkat Amazon. You have fulfilled your Torah obligation, which is another way of saying, as much as we have a set liturgy, there's also a recognition that we're really looking for the fundamental premise behind it and what we're trying to think about or remember when we say it. So before I start to ask you a little bit more about gratitude, I just can't help but think that's like a Hasidic story, right? Where you imagine the Hasidic story of the 10 scholars all reciting all the words of Birkat HaMazon from the most complete Sidur and adding all of the extra liturgy that got built up and the shepherd in the corner who just says his one sentence. And of course, we would say that he had such kavanah and deep feeling in his one sentence, and it was greater than... Uh, all of those scholars. Can you imagine that? That'd be a good Hasidic story to and tell. And that it should have halachic validity. Right? And as the Rishonim say, the Rashba says, the Ritva says, that indicates to us that when we talk about a liturgy for Birkat Amazon, that may in fact be a rabbinic addition. There's a Torahitic requirement to bless God. There's a rabbinic liturgy associated with it, which of course opens the door to the possibility of renewed attention to the words that we say and how we might say them differently. So for those out there who think halakha is always pushing back against flexibility and new expression, here it is embedded in the halakhic sources that such a thing is possible and even maybe even encouraged on some level. On some level, I think what we lack today in undertaking that kind of work, at least for me, is a central authority that has a mandate to do it for the Jewish people. We no longer live in that reality, which makes it a different kind of challenge. Yeah, it's very hard if we're going to say Birkat HaMazon together. Imagine singing Birkat HaMazon a Pardes if everyone had their own version to sing. So let's come back, if you're open to it, coming back to this issue of gratitude and the challenge of gratitude. Everybody is pro-gratitude, right? Everyone agrees gratitude is central to our sense of happiness and well-being. Gratitude is important in the relationships we have with other people. Everybody likes gratitude, the whole world. And the question I would want to throw out to you is, what do you think is so challenging, given the fact that many of us, I'll say myself, struggle with feeling gratitude? What do you think are the challenges, and what have you learned about it for yourself? For me, the greatest challenge is that we become used to things. We take things for granted. We no longer appreciate them as being blessings. I'm often reminded on sort of a more personal level what an incredible blessing indoor plumbing is. How many of us think about indoor plumbing or electricity as blessings? But without those things, and they didn't exist 100 years ago for many people, and in some parts of the world, for many people, they still don't exist, they are absolutely life changers, right? So I think that's true of many of the things that we experience during the course of our day, during the course of our lives. That's why I was talking about the long view. If we have the longer perspective, not just our own lives, but perhaps humanity or the human story or the Jewish people, then it's easier to look at where we are today and to appreciate it. So you would say advice number one is 
try not to take things for granted and try to appreciate the things you have. I think part of what you're saying I'm going to add on is when everybody has them, it's hard to be grateful for them. It's hard to notice maybe. Or even to feel grateful because what's special about it? Everybody has indoor plumbing. That's like being grateful for having shoes, which you're about to tell me, yeah, shoes are great. When everybody has it, I think a lot of us associate with gratitude with something special that has happened. You got me a birthday present. I'm grateful to you. And I think what you're pointing out is that habit and the fact that it's everywhere really blunts our sense of gratitude. What else would you advise? You know, I just want to add to that one point, which is the Rambam, Maimonides has this fantastic line where he talks about the laws of blessings. And he says, you know, some of our blessings are about things that we enjoy, we consume, we eat food, we smell something pleasant, there's a blessing. Some of our blessings are about the performance of mitzvot. And some of our blessings are just praise. Believe it or not, many listeners may know or may not know, we recite a blessing after we have use the bathroom. Back to indoor plumbing again. There's a theme here. I can already imagine my title for this one, but go ahead. But this is sort of God's wisdom in the fashioning and the functioning of the human body. And we take health for granted very often until, God forbid, we're not so healthy. Yeah, that's an excellent example. Many of us are only grateful for our health after we've been sick. And it's not that we're bad, it's just we get used to things. And the Rambam says the point of a blessing, he uses these words, tamid, to always remember the fact that we have a creator, which is another way of saying that life has a purpose, that life has meaning, and that our lives are colored by experiences which are something we need to be grateful for. Even as there are challenges in life, I don't want people to think that we don't have difficulties. Everyone has difficulties. Well, I think that raises where a lot of people struggle, not with gratitude per se, but gratitude towards God. It invites that theological problem, right? If I give God credit for all the good things, then what about all the not so good things? And then I'm suddenly angry at God. And I think that that, for a lot of people, does get in the way. It goes back to where we started, that the awareness of God's hand can be a source of gratitude, but maybe it can also sometimes make us angry and frustrated at the same time. I think that's normal, that's appropriate, but that shouldn't stop us from recognizing the blessing when we experience it. Yes, I think that's good advice. I'm going to try to take it. Let's come back to an extension of really what you're saying, which I think connects to this challenge that the Torah is aware of, of wealth, of having a lot. God seems to be in a bind. He wants to give us a good land land that will provide for us with abundance. On the other hand, there is something about abundance, which is very counterintuitive. Having a lot does not seem to push us towards gratitude, but having a lot either gets us used to expecting a lot or feeling powerful ourselves. Maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of the risks involved or God's special conundrum in wanting to give us a lot, but how that can have a negative spiritual impact. I think all of us in the Western world are suffering from that in one form or another because we have so much and it's difficult to appreciate things when you have so much of them. But that's what the blessings are about. That's that opportunity that's sort of being extended to us, which is to say that we acknowledge them and we're grateful for them. And that actually changes the way we live and the way we look at the world, the way we look at our lives. It has a profound impact potentially. You know, I sometimes think that I'm curious about something. I go on Google and I get my answer. I'm hungry. I go to Walt and I order the food that I want, right? And so on and so on. That Having so much at my fingertips 
I feel like another effect is it teaches me to focus on myself and my own wants and desires all the time. If I can have what I want so often, I just end up thinking about what I want so much of the time. Sort of the genius of something like Birkat Hamazon is that it reminds us that we're part of something larger. We're part of a larger movement, a larger idea, a larger mission in the world. So it's not just about us and our individual needs, but there's something called the Jewish people. There's something called humanity. You're saying it's not really about me, Michael Hatton? Is that what you're telling me? Because that's hurtful. I'm saying it's not only about Oh, you. I could accept that. No, I think that you're making a beautiful point, which of course I almost ruined with my silly joke. But I think that there is a really powerful point just to have the gratitude of being part of something larger. To know that I'm not alone. You know, I sometimes think that to be happy with your part, I sometimes think to myself, it means that you're part of something bigger. You can be happy with your piece because your piece belongs to this larger mosaic that is doing something so much bigger, so transcendent of your own personal limitations. And maybe that by itself is something to be grateful for. To be grateful for and also to be cautious about because we recognize that we may not be able to hold on to it. And I just want to sort of update the discussion a little bit. The state of Israel is currently going through some very, very serious challenges about the Supreme Court and the Knesset, the relationship between the two. Many of us detect a breakdown in the discourse politically and people are no longer able to necessarily appreciate what it is that was achieved at such high cost. As soon as we reach that point, we're in danger of losing it. So gratitude then is important, not only to give us that ongoing perspective, but to put things into a perspective that says, you know, be careful. Your anger and your criticism, however justified it might be, runs the risk of obliterating your sense of gratitude of the wonderful thing that you actually have right now. You're just so focused on the flaw or flaws, and you're so focused on the cracks and what's missing, you could end up losing the whole thing. And that's particularly true when people are no longer able to be grateful for the work that they've done together in creating whatever it was that was created. So there we've surfaced another challenge to gratitude. I think our constant push towards things being better our constant aspiration to improve, which is very healthy in a certain way, right? Everyone likes tikkun olam, to fix, to repair, but there's also a problem. If I'm always focused on the flaws and what's missing, I never take the time to appreciate what's been built. And I think there's a corrective here through Brikata Mazon that you're suggesting that pause and reflect on what you've received and the blessings that you have. Then go out into the world and try to improve it and make it better. I couldn't have said it better myself, Sphere. Well, you actually did say it over and over again. It just took me a while, folks, to finally understand. So to sum up, I think that embedded in this Parsha is this incredible gift of blessings in general, but Birkat Amazon in particular, which you are suggesting has the potential to transform us into people who understand their own limits, see themselves as part of something greater, like, you know, keeping our ego in check and connecting us to something larger and giving us space to appreciate the blessings that we've received and to feel that coming with that gratitude is this sense of 
God is in this somehow and God cares about us. And that's our story. So everyone, I think the takeaway is not only should we say Birkat Amazon, but maybe we have to pay attention, which is I think is the bigger challenge. Pay attention to the words, pay attention to the moment, allow that gratitude to enter in. What do you say? I say 100%. Well, I'm going to be checking next time I see he benches, he says Birkat Amazon. I'm going to check his Kavana. I bet you it's very, very strong. Anything else you'd like to send us off with? I think that's it, Savi. You know, the major takeaway from this entire discussion is that life is challenging and sometimes the challenge comes from difficulty and believe it or not, sometimes the challenge comes from plenty as well. Excellent. Well, I learned a lot. I want to thank you, Michael, for joining us and sharing your Torah with us. I know all of you that heard this learned a lot. Please get the word out there that this podcast is worth listening to and share it with your friends and family, anybody who might be interested. So on that note, I'm going to thank Michael again, thank all of you, wish all of you a Shabbat Shalom, and encourage you to listen to the next one. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Pardes Parsha podcast, recorded here at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and gained some new insights and perspectives on the Torah portion. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to exploring the Torah with you again next week on the Pardes Parsha podcast. Shabbat Shalom.